cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs. Welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, we welcome the co-founder of Black Flag, The Circle Jerks, and Off, and one of the godfathers of hardcore and 80s punk, Keith Morris. Keith, how are things? Um, I'm good, Robert. How you doing? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing all right. Well, I just got through uh, eating. Um, I'm, <laughs> I've, been, I've been complaining to all of my friends. I have this situation. I live upstairs. I live in a fourplex. And we're in uh, this weekend, we're going to be in the 90s. And one of the things that's happening is because we're not, uh, I normally go out to eat. And because of the um, uh, coronavirus, um, we're we're locked in, and it, it's really expensive to call out and have all of your meals delivered. I certainly can't afford to do that. So I started um, making food at home. Uh, I make breakfast, and normally my breakfast consists of a couple of poached eggs with sliced avocado and a couple of slices of turkey bacon, and then I'll, I'll eat some granola with uh, miscellaneous fruit. I'll like cut up some strawberries and maybe some. Right now we've got some really amazing white peaches. They're really tasty, and the pears are really pretty, pretty sweet and tasty right now. And I love mango, so I just do. You know, it's almost like a fruit salad on the granola. And um, what, what's happening is, you know, when you're uh, like if you. You crack a couple of eggs to poach. Um, I, I have a plastic bag in my plastic trash container, and, and all of a sudden, um, all of my garbage, because I don't have a garbage disposal, and I don't have a uh, trash compactor. So the, the garbage sits in the plastic bag, and it, it gets heated, and it's vulgar. It's rude. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, it's Lord of the Flies. I've become Lord of the Flies. <laughs> Do you have any uh, fresh fruit trees around your apartment? Um, well, we have some. Um, in our driveway, we have a peach tree. But we very rarely get to eat the peaches on the peach tree because the birds get to them. Oh, of course. Which is, that's fine, you know. Good for the birds. Let let the birds eat healthy. <laughs> Better them than us. Well, but, um, there, there's there's roses and um, my neighbor my neighborhood actually uh, at certain points in the year smells really nice with like the night blooming jasmine. My, 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 actually t- today's, uh, it's going to start going off here pretty soon that all of the, uh, the, um, tree trimmers and the landscapers and the, uh, all of the lawn mowers and the, um, power tools are going to get busted out and they'll be whipping out the, uh, power blowers. So, um, I, I hope that our, our conversation, well, we'll just play it by ear. I, I also live under the, um, I'm looking at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles out my front window. And 
they have a helipad. Somebody somebody d- donated like millions of dollars and they built a like a new building and on top of the new building is a helipad. So um, I sit under the emergency flight path with the helicopters <laughs> and then I'm right around the corner from the fire station. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the coronavirus, what do you make of this whole thing? Well, I watched some white-haired politician try to blame it on China. You know, it's real easy to point your finger in that direction. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, some of these viruses have generated in China just because of the, 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 they have these open markets, these open wet markets. I had read um, that this was, this was before we, we were hit with the virus. I'd read a report by a, um, uh, a a guy up at the, I want to say it's either the University of Minnesota or the University of Wisconsin. And his job, he, he played a role in discerning where Lyme disease comes from. And Lyme disease pretty much is in just like forested areas where there are uh, deer, where there where there might be elk or there there might be moose, um, the 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 bug rides on them, and then jumps to a dog or could jump to a cat, and then that's that's when we're talking about domestic animals, and that's where it comes from. It comes it jumps from one animal to another animal, and then to the human beings. It's kind of like uh, here in Los Angeles, we, we don't have any problems like that. Our problem is mosquitoes and uh, West Nile disease. Apparently West Nile disease is, is starting to, I guess because of the weather, you know, when it gets hot, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we have a lot of swimming pools and, and we have a lot of fountains and we have a lot of like, wet areas where mosquitoes breed so i guess you know we i I guess it's just mother's nature mother mother nature's way of just saying hey you you've can we use four-letter words like fuck um (laughs) yes yes swear away (laughs) you know what this is completely uncensored I'll, i'll curb i'll curb it Mother Nature says, you've messed with me long enough. And now, you know, we have the we have the um, we have the Arctic melting. And they've like (laughs) they apparently have found worms that have been frozen for like a jillion years that are now coming back to life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're talking some science fiction here. That's that's some that's some karma and that's some payback, I guess. Um, but anyways, my take on this: um, I listened to a couple of uh, experts, pandemic experts. One of the guys uh, studied at 
the University of Stanford, and he was the, one of the um, clinical guys who spearheaded the uh, uh, trying to figure out where HIV and AIDS came from. And and both of these pandemic experts said you you don't you don't develop a, you don't develop a vaccine for any of this stuff. It doesn't happen overnight. And they were saying that we're gonna we're gonna be um, dealing with this for a minimum year to two years, and that they're not going to they're not going to be coming up with a vaccine anytime soon. They, they were saying that usually that, that kind of thing happens over the course of about a year and a half, maybe two years. See, and we're here um, here in L.A., we, we were doing really, really well with the curve. We were, we were like close to flattening it out. And then all of a sudden, um, I think we had some big three-day weekend, some holiday came along and all of a sudden everybody was getting cabin fever and uh, itchy trigger fingers. And, you know, um, you can't take away my freedom. And now we, we have all of these people that don't want to wear masks. And it's just the whole thing was so simple. It was so simple because we're we're still locked down, mm-hmm. and if if everybody would have worn masks as they were going out, we wouldn't be worrying about what we're we wouldn't be dealing with what we're dealing with. Well, on the other side of the world right now, we're seeing riots and protests and uprising in the streets, and police corruption is being discussed by mainstream culture. Do you feel like things are different this time around from what you've seen before? I'm, um, I'm sort of puzzled as to how all of this is going to work out. See, because we're, we're looking at our economy bottoming out, which I, I think that's a, that's a really huge issue. Um, we're also, um, when I say we're, I mean um, people here in the United States. We're looking at our, our government is our government could possibly be the worst government in the world when it comes to corruption, when it when it comes to um, payoffs, when it comes to these people uh, fattening their bank accounts. When it comes to these lobbyists, we we just we just had Manafort um, let out of prison, and we have Roger Stone getting ready to. He has to show up next week to go to prison, and who knows how long he's going to be in prison. But these guys, they're 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 made of Teflon. You know how much time did Manafort spend in prison? Like maybe six months. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a year. Yeah, you know, and it's well, they can't remain in prison because um, they're older, and there's the coronavirus, and they'll they'll 
they'll die in prison. And wasn't that the whole point? Mm-hmm. Send them to prison, prison and, and let them live the rest of their lives in prison? See, I, I don't believe in that. I, I, don't, I don't believe in these, these guys getting off. Even going to prison is, is kind of letting them off easy. They, they need to be given the, they need to be given the Mussolini treatment or the, the, they need to be Stalinized, Stalinized, <laughs> what Joseph Stalin did at the beginning of the Russian Revolution when they took the Romanovs and just like <laughs> shot them on the spot. We, we, we don't, we don't have enough examples we need to set more examples. You do this, and th- th- this is your reward. Hang from a telephone pole. <laughs> well, how would you say that things with the police have changed since you first started Panic, or should I say Black Flag? Oh, the the, 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 the police situation here hasn't changed. Not in the least bit. See, and, and, and this could be a, an extremely big deal. See, we're talking about defunding the police. No, you, you, don't, you don't defund the police. You just make it so they're not allowed to, like, become, like, many, um, many militias. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, sadly, here in California... We, we have the fifth largest economy in the world. Part of our economy is based on weapon technology. You know, who can, who can build the fastest cruise missile? You know, um, who, who could build the most precise tracking device? You know, we got to zero in. You know, we, 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 we watch all of these movies where we're like watching somebody from the CIA and they're able to like watch people on the ground by satellite. And then they know where to zero in on with the with the with the drone strike or where we're going to send the guys in to kill whoever we're going to kill. Uh a lot of that technology is based right here in California. Um, what we really needed to happen, and this would have been back when uh, JFK was our president, and th- this could possibly be one of the reasons why he was he was not assassinated. He was murdered. What happened to him was murder. He was getting ready to um, put the clamps and close the CIA. Like, we don't need you. And that, that day in Dallas, that, that town, there were all sorts of CIA bigwigs in town for that event. And whoever told him it was okay to drive a convertible through the streets of Dallas certainly gave him the wrong bit of information. Anyways... Um, our, our CIA, I, w- I was explaining that all of the technology, being able to like kill people in the middle of the Sahara or what have you, um, a, a lot of that technology is based here in California. Now, with the police, they're militarizing. 
which means more armor plating and more more bulletproof glass and well and doesn't, more, doesn't the la police department even own a few tanks um we <laughs> probably more than a few <laughs> there, there's <clears throat> there is a an underground parking area somewhere or maybe even just a, an above ground parking area somewhere where there's probably a minimum three or four dozen tanks. And uh, the, I, I guess the, the polite um, word for the, the tanks would be battering ram. We, we actually had some instances where they were using these tanks just to like smash people's doors in. And uh, one of the one of the cases, they actually s- smashed down the front of a house where the family was sitting watching TV. And they're smashing these buildings in because they're going for the big drug bust. So obviously they'd been given false information. We're not seeing the kind of political uprising and anti-establishment music from current bands like we saw through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Do you feel like the rage in music is gone? Or do you disagree with that statement? Um, I, well, for one thing, we're, we're 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 in the position of not being able to go out and listen to any live music. So to, to, to make that kind of comment, to make that kind of statement, I think you might, um, you might want to take a couple of steps back and let a little bit more of this uh, rage uh, boil up. Um, we're, we're getting ready to, we're heading into some like a s- serious political, scenario here you know and if any any hanky panky bullshit goes on which it probably will be you you'll 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 see you'll hear you'll hear more lyrics you'll hear more um you will hear more um angry voices well i'd like to take you way back for a moment what did you think of the non-American punk bands back when you first started out? Did they not even feel comparable to a band like the Ramones for you? Or were you really into bands like the Sex Pistols and the Clash? Well, you have to understand that <clears throat> I don't really consider the Ramones to be like an anarchy punk band mm-hmm. they're, they're certainly not political um i if you were to like get in line with their their influences you'd scratch your head because they're kind of a pop band actually you know um very sing-along very all of the choruses are really big and you know, sing along, sing the chant. Where the the Sex Pistols, they now they were an angry band, 
and they were political. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't even compare the two bands. And as for, um, like American or North American punk bands as opposed to uh, European punk bands, I, I just I, I, I take a couple of steps back and let everybody you know throw whatever barbs and criticisms and uh, whatever however they support the bands. Let everybody else do that. I, I love. Um, I love bands from both clumps of land. Well, do, do you think that there are still bands from that early era in punk rock LA that don't get the respect that they probably deserve? Well, I think <clears throat> X probably should be able to play like the Hollywood Palladium, which is 4,000 people. They, they should be able to... Uh, I would think that they should be able to do that at least a couple of times a year. Um, a lot of the other bands, uh, the weirdos, they they certainly are great enough to be able to play like three nights at the Echo Plex or uh, three nights at the Observatory down in Orange County. But they... You know, it's just for some bands, there's um, certain motivations. Some bands aren't motivated to grab the gold ring. Some bands, uh, there, there were so many great bands in Los Angeles, so many great punk rock bands in Los Angeles early on that didn't have the wherewithal to get in the van and go see America, you know, who knows what goes on out there, what, what's out there past the Eastern California border. You know, now there, there were bands that toured the West Coast, you know, and there were uh, a handful of bands that actually made it to places like Texas. You know, you could go to Texas and you could play four shows in Texas and then you would play a show in New Mexico and you'd play a couple of shows in Arizona and then you would be home. But a lot of bands, I guess, just didn't have the wherewithal. Maybe they didn't want to do it. Maybe they were too lazy. You know, who who knows? Certain bands have certain motivations. What was the furthest away that you played a show when you were still still with Black Flag? Um, San Francisco. After I left Black Flag, they started to get in the van and go everywhere they could. You know, they they were probably the ones that mapped out all of the clubs and VFW halls for all the other touring bands. And they would go out, they would go out, and they would be gone for so long that um, they were... They'd go on a tour and they'd play some places uh, twice on the same tour. And I don't mean twice, like on a Monday and a Tuesday or a Thursday and a Friday. I would mean they would play certain cities twice within a month, month and a half, two months. And 
they I guess that would uh, eventually lead to um, them not gaining the popularity that they should have. Maybe they were uh, oversaturated. Maybe they were playing too much. You know, it would be, um, well, why would I go? Why would I go see them? tomorrow night when I can see them, they're going to be back in three weeks. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll just go see them in three weeks. When you first saw Raymond Pettibon's idea for the black flag logo, did you think it was ever going to grow to be something bigger than the band itself? We never had the wherewithal. We never had the, uh, that, that the, the mentality that we were, playing a role in creating a genre of music. We didn't know what we were doing. We, we did know that the four bars and the name were, were really cool at the time. But the, the, the situation was um, we were also kind of uh, in a situation where we, we were trying to get a foothold here in Southern California. I mean, we were we were having a difficult time. We were having a difficult time getting gigs in Hollywood. You know, it was difficult for us to get club shows. So we ended up uh, very early on. We ended up like renting halls. We ended up playing parties, and we just we we lucked into a thing now. This wouldn't be Black Flag, but this would be the Circle Jerks. At one point, the Circle Jerks were able to play on a Friday or Saturday night and draw anywhere between 3,500 to 5,000 people, depending upon the other bands that were on the bill with us. And this, this would be at a place called the Olympic Auditorium. I mean, we were playing places like the Santa Monica Civic, which is when, when you remove all of the seats off the floor, you can cram 4,000 people in there. <clears throat> so we got to the point where we were playing these venues, but we could only, we could only play these places maybe once or twice a year. And wh- what were we going to do in the meantime? We needed to, get in the van and we needed to go out there and we needed to just start playing other places. Well, you started flag as a kind of response. Do you feel like Greg is kind of self-sabotaging the legacy of black flag in the same way that some people have said HR is doing so with the bad brains? Well, we, um, getting back to, uh, playing the bigger venues. Um, one of our, local promoters who is responsible for all of those shows did a, uh, an anniversary, a 30 year anniversary of the, um, the promotion company, they're called golden voice. Mm-hmm. And the guy's name is Gary Tovar. And we've known Gary for forever. He, he did his three nights at the Santa Monica Civic. One night was headlined by X. One night had Social Distortion. Um, oh, who else played? The Dickies, The Adolescents, TSOL. 
and the the descendants were headlining one of the nights and I guess uh, what happened was Gary Tovar asked Chuck Dukowski, Chuck having been a member of Black Flag, if he wanted to like give a speech between a couple of the bands. And um, Chuck was kind of hesitant. Chuck said, well, let me think about it. You know, I'll get back to you in a couple of days. And when he got back to Gary, he said, look, um, how about if we put Black Flag back together? And Gary was... He was excited, but at the same time, he knew that it wasn't going to happen. It was just, you know, it's it's common knowledge that Greg Ginn, there's only, there's only certain people that Greg Ginn will play with, you know, um, but the lawsuit hadn't happened yet. So what happened was Chuck went to Billy, knowing that the descendants were playing, and asked him if... Um, we could um, take up a small portion of their set and play some Black Flag songs, and and Billy was <clears throat> Billy was kind of hesitant, but Billy Billy knew that it could work because Stephen Egerton, the guitar player in the Descendants, learned to play guitar listening to the listening to Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and TSOL. So he he knew all of this stuff. So it kind of made sense. It would be really easy for us to just come in there after the descendants get through doing their sound check and, and running through a handful of songs. And that's what we did. And the response was so amazing that after we got through playing, we were all like drying off and we were all drinking our drinks and hanging out and being pals, you know, and saying hello to everybody being backstage. And at one point we looked at each other and, um, I, I believe that I was the one that said, you know what, guys, I think it would be stupid for us to not, to not try to, um, do this in the future, you know, whenever it's convenient. And um, my booking agent happened to be there. And he happened to be standing in on the conversation. <laughs> and I, I, I looked at him and said, so what do you think? And he said, look, I'll, I'll uh, put some feelers out there and see what kind of response there is to um, what you guys are doing. And as it turned out, we ended up playing, I want to say, um, we, I think we've, we've probably played about 30 to 40 shows. Could be more, uh, in the process, Greg Ginn became really upset. It's like, Oh no, you guys can't do that. That was the reason for the lawsuit. And it just got, it, uh, the, the lawsuit got ugly. Um, the, the judge cited in our 
favor three times. They went to court three times. The judge sided in our favor three times. But in all of this finagling, all of these legalities, there's trade-offs. And I'll give you this, and we want this, and you can't do that. And ultimately, at one point, Greg Ginn's lawyer said, I'm going to make this cost you guys $500,000. And we, if all of us sold everything we owned, we wouldn't be able to come up with all of that kind of money, um, except for the guys that own houses. But then they, 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 they were the first ones to step up and say, look, we, we got to, we got to, um, we, we're going to have to bend over backwards and allow them to win a few things. We, we can't we can't have this go on like this. And so in the process, um, I know that I gave up a couple of things that I would have never given up. Um, one of them was actually something that I could have sold for for about three hundred thousand dollars. But um, it just got ugly, and there was there was too much going back and forth. And um, the opposing lawyer was a real asshole, just a smug, arrogant. If you were if you were to know him and and you knew what he looked like and you saw him at a parking lot, you'd end up running him over. <laughs> you, you'd end up trying to bash his head in his door. We 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 were never ever going to be playing with Greg Ginn. It was like there, there are too many guys from the band. You know, it's like you, you, you see the modern black flag and none of those guys, none of those guys are original members. None of those guys played in the band because the rest of us wouldn't play with him just because of the way, just because of the way that he treated all of us and just because the way that he's treated a lot of our friends. Well, moving into Circle Jerks a little bit, do you think that the audience grew after the decline of Western civilization? Or was there a moment for you that you felt like the Circle Jerks broke in a bigger way? The decline of Western civilization really helped us out. That was um, the equivalent to, in certain circles, it would have been like a business card. Now, all of a sudden, you have people... Um, in the industry, and when I say the industry, I mean like club owners and club bookers and other promoters, people that promoted music, people that played music on the radio. They, they saw that movie, and that was their glimpse into what was happening here in Los Angeles. Now, the, the bands in the decline... That was just the tip of the iceberg. But at the same time, Penelope Spheris, she, because she was paying for it out of her own pocket, she only had so much to make the documentary. I mean, there were other bands that were more deserving to, to be in the documentary than the Circle Jerks or Catholic Discipline. I mean, there were the Plugs, there were the Weirdos, there were the Alley Cats. There were the screamers. I mean, the the, the, the list goes on, but the, 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 there was only so much space, and she can only 
you know, rent so many cameras and buy so much film. That documentary opened opened so many doors for us. It was ridiculous. But the, the, the circle jerks really wouldn't start realizing their popularity probably until around, I would say, 1985, 1986. That's when we could go out on tour and we could actually make money. We, we actually realized, hey, we, we need to sell T-shirts and stickers and buttons. There, there's, there, that'll, that'll buy food and pay for hotels and pay for gas and per diems. That'll allow us to, in three weeks, stop at the laundromat and wash our clothes. That's when we realized we, we could go out on a two-month tour and come back and be able to pay our rent for two or three months. So the, the movie opened doors for us. The decline opened doors for us. In fact, uh, it was probably a month after it came out when we received a call from a promoter on the East Coast. He said, "I want to, I want to, I want to fly you guys out here to to play a couple of weeks worth of dates on the East Coast." And we'd we'd never. We had never done anything like that. It's like, of course, we're going to do this. We ended up playing with the uh, we ended up playing with the um, Minor Threat in Washington D.C. We played with the Stranglers. I, I guess it was their first or second U.S. tour. We played with the Stranglers in Philadelphia. Uh, we played with the Stimulators and the Necros at Irving Plaza in New York, uh, the stimulators having a 12-year-old kid playing drums with them, Harley, who would later go on to be one of the Cro-Mags. Then we uh, had the show at the Mud Club in New York. And on that particular night, the only people there were the, the, the staff, and that would be the, the bartender and the waitress and the doorman and uh, the sound man, Cheetah Chrome, the guitarist from the Dead Boys. He, he was our actual uh, one lone member of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and it was wild. He ended up uh, taking all of the bar stools and the tables and stacking them in front of the stage like he was going to light them on fire. <laughs> what did you think of the response when you announced that the Circle Jerks were going to come back? It seemed like the excitement was to, to the level of what the, what the excitement was for when the Misfits decided to do the reunion. It was big. Did you notice this yourself? Not that big. Uh, if, if you noticed the the venues that the misfits have been playing in. True, true. You know, the, the misfits played a soccer stadium, uh, one of our um, soccer stadiums downtown by the Coliseum. Now, granted, it wasn't sold out, but there was, 
I, I, I imagine there was probably about 20,000 people there. It could have been a little bit more than that. But the, 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 the misfits getting back together was a much bigger deal than the circle jerks. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm in um, no celebratory mode. We don't get to celebrate. We don't get to go out and celebrate because we are in lockdown. We um, had 70 shows booked or almost 70 shows booked. And with the virus, the majority of it went away. I mean, we, we, um, our European dates have been moved back into 2021. Uh, we have Riot Fest in 2021. We have the Burger Boogaloo up in Oakland in 2021. We have Punk Rock Bowling in Las Vegas in 2021. Those didn't go anywhere. All they did was they got moved back. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the smaller venues, that's a whole different story. Uh, what's going to happen is that when, when the um, quarantine is lifted and we have some sort of uh, handle on, on the COVID-19, See, we're, we're, we're not going to have complete control over this virus because we don't have complete control over SARS. You remember SARS? Mm-hmm. Yep. SARS still pops back up in, in little groups and little bits and pieces here and there. Um, South America happened to have been a hot spot for SARS. Then we had MERS, which was um, transmitted from uh, camel. I believe it was camel. Uh, MERS was MERS wasn't um, from um, China. MERS, I believe, was somewhere in the Middle East. But it's, it, it, getting back to you know what we first started talking about, that's Mother Nature. You never know where it's going to come from. But our um, excitement was, see, I'm in a band called Off. That, that's, that's my new band, even though we're about 10 years old. That's my new band. That's the band that I love. The, the people that I'm, that I'm creative with. I also love Off, and I've seen Off many times. <laughs> so Okay. And everybody should should go check you guys out and off. Uh, you are at at like the top of your game right now, as far as I'm concerned. We can look at footage of you back in the day. As crazy as you are, you're still bringing that now. It's it's truly something special to watch. Well, thank you, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to um, buy you a meal or buy you a drink at the bar the next time I see you when we're. When we're up in Vancouver. Oh, I'm definitely buying you a meal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I look forward to coming up there. You know, we we actually had a couple of festivals that we were going to play up there. Uh, uh, Granted, there, the the one festival is outside of Montreal, but it just, it all remains to be seen how they handle, you know, you 
guys seem to be doing really well with the with the virus. We Was, definitely we're, came together like very quickly and just tried to handle it as a country. I will say we definitely – it seems like we tried a little bit harder than the states did. Yeah, but here, here, here's another thing because I was just looking at a map that shows like all of the hot spots in North America. Mm-hmm. And, and your hot spots aren't that hot. No. But at the same time, your country is really spread out. It's very spread out and it definitely doesn't have the population that that you guys have. But yeah, everybody really likes to be in the suburbs, be out in the out in the hills, the farm space. It's and it's it is a pretty big country for like the least amount of people that you could have in this big of a country, so it is definitely spread out. You know, and then another thing that we would look at would just be um a place called Chinatown that happens in every major city, mm-hmm. which is the Chinese population. And th- 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 this goes back to SARS. I, I um, was on tour with the Circle Jerks, and we flew out of the um, Toronto airport as, as SARS was being brought in from some people that had visited China. <clears throat> so we um, were very fortunate. We missed SARS by probably, it could have been half an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned festivals up in Canada. Cause do you remember being the last band? And I mean, off in this case to play the sled Island music festival in Calgary, the year that it flooded in 2013. That was, that was, uh, wasn't that just a little party? Wasn't that like, um, okay. So here's how it went. Vans off the wall, just like how the vans do their concert series. It was a part of that, but it was a part of a bigger festival, which was called the Sled Island Music Music and Film Festival. So it was kind of two different things happening at the same time. I believe we missed the flooding. Like we we were driving out as the flood was coming in. One of those, um, just <laughs> one of those things that you you have no control over. It's like um, we got up extra early to get out of there. The people in town were saying, yeah, we're <sighs> this weather because it had a lot to do with the, how much rain. And I mean, it was pretty insane. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm surprised there were that many people at that party. I, I'm surprised were the, the, that were that many people at that festival. It you definitely, know, you just, the, the, in the earlier days when you were playing that, it was definitely starting to become something and they were on the verge of like almost becoming a South by Southwest, but up here. It's kind of trickled down a little bit now, but you definitely played a year where the excitement was, it was huge. Well, I also remember playing the North by Northeast in Toronto. Which I was also at. <laughs> yeah. 
and always um, loved playing there. Uh, I, I, I had been, I think I'd been to three of them. I know um, I, I DJed their closing party one year. The soundtrack of our lives had, had played and God, I forget who all else, but I do remember off playing with um, Fucked Up in the, the big square. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of the square, but it was Nathan, that was a really really good show. There was like there was like ten thousand people at that because it was a big free outdoor show. It's a, it's it's called Nathan Phillips Square. Yeah, like downtown. Yep. But I do remember um, seeing Dirty Beaches perform. Dirty Beaches is one guy with his guitar and a suitcase full of effects. And that was really cool. I really dug that. And fucked up, we're amazing. Well, can you give us a little bit of insight into how Off came to be? What, what happened, uh, the events that led to me starting the band with Dimitri, was that somebody came to the Circle Jerks I think it was Dimitri that actually came to the circle jerks and said, you know, you guys haven't, you guys haven't recorded an, an album in like 10, 15 years, just some really oddball length of time. I personally wasn't interested in recording another circle jerks album. Because the last Circle Jerks album, I thought, should have never been made in the first place. It was just a cash grab. Because um, I'm surrounded by a guy whose full-time band is Bad Religion. I'm uh, I'm standing next to a guy who uh, plays in a band who um, Brad Pitt stated that they were like the greatest band in the world at the time in Rolling Stone magazine. And he just signed a deal with uh, Interscope Records. And then one of the other guys is an accountant and he had tax season coming up. And the, the whole deal was we have, we have like, three months to make a record. We have three months to, to write songs and, and record a record because my tax season starts and um, I've got to go off with Bad Religion and play the Warp Tour. And um, I've got a new album that's been recorded and it's going to be re- released and I've got to start playing shows with my band. So I'm kind of the odd man out and I'm like in a situation where let's start writing songs. Let's, let's start, let's start getting creative. Let's, let's make this happen. And we, we, we'd already had, we, we, I think we had like four songs and we, we demoed three songs and played them for a friend at Mercury Records. And he said, I'll, I'll sign you. I, I dig this. I, I've always loved you guys. 
I want to sign you. So we had a record deal and we had a record deal and we didn't have any songs, which was extremely odd. We made this record. It was, it was quickly made. And I thought it was, I thought it was a terrible record. It was like, how, how were we able to pull off this scam? How were we able to get paid the, the kind of money that we got paid, which was not that much? But how were we able to, to, to like, weasel this kind of money out of this record label for what we recorded? It, it, it was ridiculous. So consequently, uh, Dimitri comes to me and comes to Greg and says, you guys need to write a record. You guys need to... You guys need to record a new record. And so we'd we'd get in a a rehearsal space and nobody had any ideas. Uh, If anybody had any ideas, they were just really mediocre. Like, how how could you even consider bringing these riffs in here? That, that, That stuff's not strong enough to go on a record. So uh, we went back and forth and... We, we actually, once again, had the time constraint with um, one of the members who was still a member of Bad Religion. It's like, this record, this record needs to be done before I leave because I'm, I'm going to go on a six-month tour with Bad Religion, and it's like, when do we get over all of this in the process there 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 are no songs being created and one day dimitri looks at me and he says we're gonna have to write songs and keep our fingers crossed that these guys come up with some riffs and come up with some ideas so dimitri and i started working here in my living room at one point Dimitri reaches out to the other guys and says, look, we're, we're working in Keith's living room. So I need everybody to start showing up so we can start hammering out some of these ideas and get this stuff happening. They, they, the, the other guys showed up once. And all of a sudden, it was like pulling teeth to get these guys to come over here to, to be creative. So now all of a sudden, it's just Dimitri and I writing the songs for what's supposed to be a Circle Jerks album. And then things get heated. And I, I receive a phone call at 1030 at night where conversation starts off with, we know you're going to quit the band because of the decision that we've made. But we're not working with Dimitri. See, Dimitri was supposed to produce the album. Dimitri, what he was doing in the very beginning was having us come in. And what he would do is he would uh, play music while we were drinking our coffee or bullshitting or whatever, just to get us into a mood, just to, you know, set some kind of a scene get some get some kind of action going 
You know, so he'd play like the Ramones or he'd play the Clash or he'd play DOA or the Bad Brains or he'd play the Dead Boys or the MC5 or Iggy and the Stooges, Raw Power, you know, just to just to like light a fucking fire under our asses. And even that didn't work. So consequently, um, at, at this juncture, this, this phone call, this uh, very lopsided conversation. I was, um, I, I was appalled that I would, I would receive a phone call like that. In fact, I was fuming. It, it took me about an hour after um, I hung up the phone. The, the last thing I said was, you're, you're right, I quit. It took me about an hour to cool off. You know, it t- took me about an hour for my wits to settle in, to, to be calm and collected and realize that they'd already made a decision for me. It, w- it wasn't even a d- decision up to me. It, it had already been made. And these guys couldn't even come to come to my space, which is centrally located. Like one of the guys could could walk here in 20 minutes. Or they could have carpooled. I mean, Greg Hudson had the long lengthy ride because he lives out in the valley. So he he would have a a twenty five minute drive, but they couldn't even do that. And at, at one point, while Dimitri and I were working in my living room, I looked at Dimitri and I said, "You know, we got to have a plan B with, with with what we're doing here. We've got to have a plan B for these songs. These songs are are too good to just vanish in the haze. We we got to do something with these songs." Um, I, I, I'm saying we've got to do something with these songs when these guys do something to sabotage this process that we're going through because I knew it was going to happen. It never failed. Always one of the guys doing something that was just t- totally uncalled for. Um, at one point, Dimitri and I are sitting here in the living room and I said, we're going to need a plan B, and here's our plan B. Let's make two lists. Let's make a list of drummers and make a list of bass players. And we want to include all of the people that we would want to play with. If we're starting a new band, these are the people that we want to play with. And at the top of each list, on the on the list of bass players at the top was Stephen McDonald, who had played in Red Cross. He also played with Courtney Love, like a, a weird version of Hole. That was a pretty interesting story. And then at the top of the list for the drummers was Mario Rubacaba, and Dimitri had already played with Mario in The Burning Brides. So Dimitri was 
he was gung-ho with both of these names and these lists weren't very extensive i think i might have listed four bass players and maybe two or three drummers but the first guys that we talked to were the guys that signed up like on the spot and that would be off has it always been important uh, to get interesting filmmakers when you decide to do music videos, like when you got Richard Kern for that off video? We have been fortunate in that we've had Richard Kern happen to be in town. And our record label said, um, we've been talking to Richard because he's done stuff with us before. And we've talked him into shooting uh, an off video, which basically was just um, in a in a warehouse downtown L.A. And <clears throat> we, we've had Whitey McConaughey, who um, he's done a series of Red Fang videos. Have you heard Red Fang? Yep. Yeah, well, Whitey's done a bunch of their videos. Whitey's a really cool guy. And um, one of our very first videos was shot by one of the um, filmmakers who was uh, part of the Vice staff in New York. And they'd send him out on some of their assignments. We also um, worked with, um, oh, God, what's his name? Um, Oh, geez. Let me think here. Uh, Jimmy Hayward, who um, he'd, he'd made a couple of movies, like he's the Hollywood filmmaker. And that was our um, video where I end up fighting the bear for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> We go skydiving and um, everybody gets killed except me and then I kill the bear. Um, We've been extremely fortunate. Um, I know Jack Black. Jack loves his, his motto is let's keep the comedy going. So that's the reason why he, he appeared in, um, three of our videos we've 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 been very fortunate and all of our videos they're all fun videos they're all goofy and oh who else we did the video where we speaking of decline of western civilization we we did our take on parts of the decline of western civilization that that was a lot of fun well, did, I mean, did movies ever have a really big part in your life? Oh, I love movies. I watch movies all the time. I just... <laughs> I just signed up for Netflix, and it's like... I, I, I've had mornings where I, I've sat and watched two or three movies. I, I love the fact that I can watch uh, anime and uh, Japanese horror movies and uh, Chinese um, martial arts movies. Uh, I, I went through a, a, a little like 
two or three days where I was watching movies made in India, Bollywood, um, like horror movies. I, I watched a really great uh, Bollywood ghost movie. Now, I for, forget the name of the movie because I, in the course of, I think I've, I've been signed up with Netflix for about three weeks. Um, but they, they give you a, a trial period. And it was like every night I was, I was, I was watching something. I, I think maybe I'm watching too many movies. But I watched a couple of television series. I, I watched one that was filmed right up the street here from me called Lucifer. Mm-hmm. where Lucifer isn't the evil guy that everybody says that he is. That's what I loved about it. Lu- Lucifer in, in the in the television series, all he wants to do is just party and get laid. Well, I remember you saying a while back that you had a few screenplays that you were sitting on. Has anything materialized out of this? Well, for, for um, my story, there's a script. And the script is really cool, except there was some stuff that was left out. And when I go back to the, the, the script writer, he gets all huffy and puffy like, oh, no, this can't be changed. This is set in stone. You didn't tell me this. And it was just, it, it's okay. You know, when it gets changed, it gets changed because that's what happens when they're making movies. Scripts get changed Every day, mm-hmm. you know, scripts scripts get sent out to the the people that are going to be in the movie, the actors and actresses, and maybe the director is loose about all of it and says, "Hey, you know, I want you to be able to um, be spontaneous, and." I want you to be as creative as possible. And the script, as good as the script is, we don't have to stick to the script. Well, how did you come to do the narration for the film, Lauren Cass? I was contacted by the guy that made the movie. And they um, they flew me to St. Petersburg. It was filmed down in St. Petersburg, Florida which would be, damn, St. Pete's on, um, well, the best thing about St. Petersburg is the Salvador Dali Museum. That museum is amazing. And, of course, while I'm down there, it's humid and muggy and all sorts of bugs, and I'm supposed to... Uh, my my role in the movie is um, it, because it's been so long since I've watched it. My my role was of a tattoo artist, so my assignment when I was flying out, he he said just whatever you can load into your suitcase that you would hang on the walls. If you're a tattoo artist and you have a parlor, what would you hang on the walls? And there, there weren't whatever I brought with me were the props for the for the tattoo parlor, and I don't even remember if that was if that was if those scenes were left in the movie. I seem to remember that they are still in the film. 
okay, well, I need to go back and watch it. Well, have you ever contemplated stepping behind the camera to direct something yourself? Uh, not really. I'm, I'm, uh, um, I'm gearing up for the off movie that we're supposed to shoot next year. Um, it's based on the, the, the recording that we made. We recorded 25 songs and the, the, the movie is based on well, the, the songs on the, on the album are based on conspiracy theories, whether you believe them or not. It's just, it, that doesn't matter to us. It's your brain. You go in whatever direction you're going to go. We're just laying it out there. And so we recorded 25 songs. We recorded with Del Del from the Melvins because uh, our original drummer, Mario, said, I'm not an actor. You know, it's like everybody in the band has to be in the movie because the movie is about the band. And Mario said, I'm not an actor, so I'm going to sit this one out. So we started to record with Dale. Uh, and it was a, uh, it was a, normally when you record, it's like a couple of weeks. And it took us, I want to say it took us about, a month and a half because we had to deal with the Melvins. We had to deal with Red Cross. We had to deal with the side eyes. We had to deal with that dog. We had to deal with the fact that Steven was uh, recording a couple of bands in his studio. So it was like we became the low men on the totem poles. We, we were just being thrown scraps. So we, we, out of the 25 songs, I think we recorded 23 with, with Dale. And Mario somehow hears what we've recorded and immediately chimes in and says, I want to be a part of this. I've changed my mind. <laughs> well, he's the original drummer. Yeah. So it's like, of course, yeah. you know, we'll bend, we'll bend over backwards for you. So now he becomes part of the picture. The great thing about Mario is that he recorded 25 songs in like four days. His, his, his stuff is great. So is Dell's. Dell, Dell did a great job. But Mario's our original drummer and he knows the feel of the band. He knows when and where he can uh, place whatever he's going to place, you know, toss his chops in. He calls them meal tickets. So he knows what he's doing. So we, we, what, what has happened is we've recorded the record twice. And then we have a problem. We have a mutiny. Um, we go out and we play a, a handful of shows and some some stuff goes south and all of a sudden there's a big rift between two of the guys in the band, you know, just teenage band drama. All of a sudden we're faced with having to bring in new members. 
and we we can't do anything right now because of the the lockdown but we're close at, at some point they'll they'll say hey <clears throat> you know you 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 can get back in a room if you're six feet apart you can you can um go to your favorite restaurant and sit outdoors you know it just it all remains to be seen with this this virus this virus really created a major cramp just just tossed the largest monkey wrench into the machinery but we when i say we now i i mean not off because we're just looking at when we can do whatever we can do because the circle jerks are supposed to be touring it was originally supposed to be a nine-month period but that's been trimmed that that can turn into like five months or six months but dimitri's already dimitri's already losing it it's like when are we going to do off when are we going to do off and it's like we'll get to off We, we will have our turn and when we have our turn we will sink our teeth into it so we've got to re-record our record for the third time and film a movie. And all of this is probably going to be taking place while the circle jerks, during breaks, during the circle jerks touring. Well, are you hesitant at all to allow songs of yours to be used in film and television? Or do you find it a place that can help to add layers to your songs? Um, I don't I don't know... Um, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, we're we're very fortunate that we get enough um, TV and and movie licenses to make it look like we're a successful band. But that that's something that you don't want to like. If if you're a musician, you don't want to you don't want to base your career on that, and you don't want to. Uh, it, 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 if that's what you're waiting on, uh, you, you better have a day job going along with it because the competition for that is just, it's, it's nuts. You know, I, I, I have a friend who has a, uh, recording studio. He built the studio just based on him doing, doing soundtracks and doing television, um, doing, doing scores for television and all of a sudden, you have people that are able to record in their bedrooms, record on their computers. Um, who are you? Who are you going? If you're making a movie or you've got a you've got a television series and you need music, are you are you going to go to the guy that's going to going to charge you ten thousand dollars, or are you going to go to the guy that's going to charge you two thousand dollars? Are you going to go to the guy that's going to charge you $200? That's how competitive that it's got. Don't quit your day job. Well, Keith, it was an honor that you took some time to sit down with me today. You are one of the key figures of punk rock and an an influence to so many of us, including myself. So it means a lot that you came on here today. Well, that still doesn't mean that I'm your friend. Oh, I, I consider you a friend if you consider me a friend. I was I'm, I, I'm just I'm just um, adding some sarcasm 
and humor. <laughs> well, I will say next time I'm in LA, I would love to uh, to take you out. Well, um, if I'm here, I got a really great place to get burritos. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Keith. Th- this was great. I hope you had some fun. I know well, I did. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Make sure you pick up Keith Morris's book, My Damage, the story of a punk rock survivor, and keep an eye out for future live events with Off and the Circle Jerks. He's one of the most important people who has ever graced hard music. So maybe this quarantine, go out to your local record store and buy up all of his music and go turn it up to 11 and revisit and reestablish yourself with his amazing body of work. This concludes our broadcast day.